Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you all. I bring you greetings from Kansas City and the Chiefs Kingdom. Just kidding. Congratulations on your win on Monday night. Maybe we'll see you guys in February again. There's not much to do in Kansas City, Missouri, so we just root for the Chiefs there. Um, Very excited to be with you all. The title of my message this morning is Mapping Your Ascension. I don't know if this is on. Can you not hear me? Is it on? Check, check, check. No? Okay. You're not on. Oh, it's dead. Nope. It's going to be a short sermon because you're not going to hear anything. This is great. Is it dead? Are you getting new batteries? Okay, great. Um, Psalm 24, mapping your ascension because Christ has ascended we can also ascend. So Psalm 24, if you have a Bible, please turn there. Psalm 24. As you're turning there, we'll change the batteries. Raymond must be long-winded. That's why it's dead, right? It's true. true. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. Okay, there we go. Good. Well, you didn't hear anything about the Chiefs, so that's good. Um, (laughs) Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas. And established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to speak for your servants are listening. We thank you that your truth reigns forever. Because Christ reigns forever. Oh, Father, would you revive us again as we hear from your word. Help us to see and treasure and honor and glorify Christ as we seek his face, as we seek the face of the God of Jacob. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What do you do 
after you become a Christian? What is the goal? Where are we going? I think a lot of us would say heaven. That's where we're going. But do you know where your Christian life is aiming? What do you do after you're saved, before you get to heaven? Sometimes in our circles, the tendency is to focus on that moment that you're saved, and then your future in heaven. We leave that middle part unclear. Our typical answer is that we're called to be sanctified, to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is a good and biblical answer. But again, I ask, what does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? How do we know that we are being sanctified, that we are growing, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ? Often we'll speak of spiritual disciplines. We read the Bible, we pray, we worship, we gather with God's people as we're doing this morning. We serve. And these, again, are all good things, and I'm for all these things. But does this help us map where we are on our spiritual journey? How do we know that we're growing? What does it look like in our lives? I think it's helpful to provide more details, more steps, more specifics to map our spiritual journey. Conversion is not the goal. It's only where we make a start of it. Union with God is the goal. Seeing the face of the God of Jacob is the goal. So this morning, I want to meditate with you on from this psalm, from Psalm 24, on our ascent to God because Christ has ascended to God. One way to think of our spiritual journey is to view it as this ascent up the mountain of God, a going up, a climbing the mountain of God. Psalm 24 is an ascension psalm. It's often read or meditated on on Ascension Sunday as we think of Christ's own ascent and are following him up the mountain of God. And this morning I want to map your ascent by speaking of three ways or three steps in the Christian life. It's been described this way in the Christian tradition, but I'm guessing for many of you this will be new language to put on it. And I hope you find it helpful. I've mapped it out on a kind of simple graph. Now, I don't have a graph behind me, but if you have on your notes, you can draw a pyramid or a triangle. And there's three basic steps. At the bottom, it's called purgation. So draw your triangle. If you're taking notes, draw your pyramid. This is the pyramid scheme from myself. Purgation is the bottom level. Illumination is the second level. And at the top is union. Again, purgation at the bottom of the pyramid, illumination, and then union. And these may sound new to you, so let me give you five disclaimers before I jump into them from Psalm 24. Five disclaimers, five clarifications. First, as I go through these, I do want you to consider where you are on this journey. You can view the pyramid or the triangle as kind of the mountain of God that we are trying to ascend up. And I do want you to consider where you are. But I also want you to not be too judgmental, either on yourselves or on others. The desire for all of us, when we hear or we see something like this, is to want to be at the top. But in the Christian life, all of these are good stages. 
All of these are good stages. So maybe you've just become converted. Praise the Lord. You're just starting up the mountain of the Lord. You are one with Christ. Or maybe you're in the stage or the way of purgation, which I'll define later. Praise the Lord. Jesus is yours. You are unified to Christ, and you are ascending that mountain. Or maybe you're in the stage of illumination. The angels rejoice in heaven. Inside this chart, I like to call this, it's like planet fitness. It's a no-judgment zone, okay? Second, while I speak of these terms of ways and stages or steps, it's never as linear or neat as what it sounds. So I'm trying to simplify things for us, but it's never as neat as it sounds. Life doesn't work, and the Christian life doesn't work like an algebra equation. You can be at different stages in different areas. You can backslide. You can make progress. So while these categories can help us, Don't lock them into too much of a mathematical box. I'm only here. I'm always here. I'm never in another stage. At the same time, I think we see in the scriptures and in our own experience that we do enter stages in our lives that are more focused toward one of these. Many times we don't know where we are until a long time later in our life or with the help of others. We can look back on our life and say, oh, that's where I was. So it's sometimes hard to determine in the moment where we are even though you're going to want to try to figure it out. Third, these things are not laid out in the scriptures explicitly like this. This is kind of a systematization of of these concepts. So I'm not going to exegete Romans 4. I am going to look at Psalm 24 to pull these concepts from, from Psalm 24. Now that might make some people nervous, but this has been helpful, and these terms have been helpful for Christians for 1,500 years. So while they're not laid out explicitly for us in the scriptures like this, I do think they are drawn from the scriptures. And we can learn from how people have described these stages, these ways in the Christian life. Fourth clarification. I have five, remember. These steps, and this is, this is big. You need to get this. These steps are not moralism. These steps are not moralism. What do I mean by that? These are not steps you take to work your way up the ladder to God. You need to have a gospel overlay over this. You are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places according to Ephesians 2. But it's also true that we're called to ascend the mountain of God. Both things can be true at the same time. And you are saved by grace alone and by faith alone, not by purgation, illumination, and union. So this is not a pull-yourself-up-the-mountain message. But it is a work-out-your-own-salvation-with-fear-and-trembling message. It is, as we read earlier, Colossians 3.1, a seek-the-things-that-are-above sermon. It is a be transformed by the renewing of your minds, Romans 12, 2 sermon. It is a be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, Matthew 5, 48 sermon. While it is all by grace, we are still called to ascend the mountain of the Lord. Finally, in each of these stages, God will often take us into what Christians have called the dark night of the soul. 
None of these stages are cloudless summer days, even though if you think you're getting to illumination or union, it might sound like everything's going great. In a very real sense, if you've ever climbed a mountain, the higher up you get on the mountain, the worse the storm is. The more the clouds come, the more you wonder, is God really there for me? Can I really see his face? And so while you might think everything is getting better as you go up the mountain, it actually might feel like things are getting worse. And you can't see the face of God anymore. But often, this is where God is growing us and having us rely not on our feelings of who God is, but on God alone. And so he will often remove his presence from us, the felt sense of his presence, so that we rely on him and his word alone. So remember, in each of these stages, you may enter that dark night of the soul. Okay, that's a lot of clarifications. So I want to move forward to thinking about the three ways from Psalm 24. Stage one in our ascent up God's mountain has been called historically purgation. I know that's not a word that we use a lot. This is where we begin to follow Jesus. If conversion is the base camp on this mountain, then purgation is where we strap on our backpacks and we begin to climb the mountain. We begin our ascent. And what we immediately find is that as the author to the Hebrew says, we are weighed down by something. There is something that is pulling us back down the mountain of the Lord, and that thing is sin. Sin. The sin that Hebrew says that clings so closely to us. Our backpack is full of all the stuff that's making it difficult for us to climb. And purgation comes from the word purge. Purge. Which means to rid yourself, to remove that which is unwanted. In purgation, we burn the sin out of us. In our Christian life, the first stage we walk through is to rid ourselves of sin. To purge the sin from our bodies. And we can see this in Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. When the author asks the question, he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who is it? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, he who purges their sin. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Whose mouth is clean, whose hands are clean, whose heart is clean. To ascend God's mountain, we must purge ourselves of sin by the power of the blood of Christ. You can think of Moses as he comes to the burning bush. He is told to take off his sandals for he stands on holy ground. I've always been confused by this image. But the sandals, according to Christian tradition, represent what is external to Moses. They are like the garments of skin, those placed on Adam and Eve to cover themselves. And Moses must rid himself of all that represents sin so he can dwell in the presence of God. Paul commands us in Ephesians to put off our old self. This is purgation. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. He says in Romans 8.13, If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, that's purgation, put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. We will ascend that mountain. 
The scriptures testify that we are called to purge, to burn the sin out of us. John Owen has said famously, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the same idea of purgation. And many have talked about the way of purgation in three ways. So three subpoints for what purgation looks like. So if you have your little graph, go to the side. Three subpoints of what purgation looks like. Level one is ridding yourself of gross sins. Not you like gross, but sins that are obvious and major. We put off things that Paul lists in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, idolatry, hatred, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Gross sins are the first ones to go. The ones that are most obvious in our lives. Next, we rid ourselves, second, of conscious sins. So gross sins and then conscious sins. This is different in that we deal with behaviors that may be normal and acceptable in our culture, but which the scriptures and the spirit of God tell us are not for our good. They are conscious sins because we still choose to do them. For example, we put off sins like materialism. Our culture is like, that's fine. The scriptures say, it's not okay. Or we put off sins like, everyone's watching this show, so I can watch it, but essentially it's an immoral show. So we put off conscious sins. Or we put off pride or selfishness. In our our culture, again, these things are okay, but they are not of Christ. So first we put off gross, obvious sins. Sexual morality, orgies, drunkenness. Then we put off conscious sins. Selfishness, pride, lust. Finally, in the way of purgation, we rid ourselves of unconscious sins. So you have gross sins, conscious sins, unconscious sins. We let the Spirit of God reveal to us aspects of our inner being that have been invisible to us, but are hindrances to us. This has to do not only with sins of commission, what we do, but sins of omission, what we don't do. Here we deal with motivations. Sometimes we do the right thing, but not for the right reason. And so we're digging deeper into our lives and asking the Spirit of the Lord to cleanse us from every stain, from everything that draws us away from Christ. I heard one pastor give the sin of anger as an example. Let me just illustrate this with the sin of anger. Level one gross sin would be violence. Maybe you just became a Christian, but you still get in fights at school or at a bar or maybe even closer to home. Maybe you engage in domestic violence and you use your body to hurt people or to throw things at them. That would be gross sins that you need to rid yourselves of. Level two would be conscious sins. Maybe you don't hit or hurt anymore, but you yell at people. You yell at people. If they do something to upset you, you have road rage, you call people names, you threaten. So you might not use your body anymore, but you'd use your mouth. That would be conscious sins. Level three, unconscious sins. You would never hit. You would never yell. That's not who you are. But inside, you're seething with contempt for people. You're filled with bitterness. You think you're better than other people. And it's this last layer that takes a very long time to purge out of our system. And this is where so many people get stuck. 
In stage one, we begin to purge ourselves of these sins. Ascending a mountain is no easy task. There will be ravines, rocks, restless nights. You have to get up early. You have to prepare. You have to be in good shape. You need to bring water. You need to bring snacks. You have to have endurance. There is no royal road to heaven. You can't pamper your sins and still ascend. As an illustration of this, our family, we lived in Oregon for six years, and if you go to the coast, you see all these cottages. They call it the coast in Oregon. You don't call it the beach. You call it the coast. You go to the coast, and you see all these cottages, but one of the things that you'll notice with these cottages is there's some really nice ones, like they'll kind of they'll catch your attention. Oh, that's a really nice cottage. And then there are some that look like they're about to fall down. The reason is because the climate there is so full of salt water. It comes from the ocean, and it just kind of layers everything with salt. And if you know anything about salt, homeowners will constantly have to be residing, re-roofing, fixing up something because it's damp, it's wet, it's always raining, and there's salt in the air. And if you don't do this, the houses will quickly fall into disrepair. So you always have to be updating. In the same way, our Christian life is one of constant vigilance. We live in a world where salt water is in the air. It's just always hovering over us. So much so that you can't even taste it anymore. You don't even know you're existing in the salt water in the air. We constantly have to be purging ourselves of that which clings so closely. So let me ask you, Christian, how are you doing on purging your body of sin? Is this a daily practice for you? Are you, by the Spirit's help, killing pride, anger, bitterness, lust, jealousy, anger? Are you identifying your sin? Are you confessing it before others? Are you walking in the light? Purgation is the first step of our spiritual journey where we burn the sin from inside of us. The second stage in our ascent is called illumination. Think of minions, right? At the beginning of the minion show, isn't it illumination or something, right? So we know what this term means. Illumination is a word that relates to light and seeing light. In illumination, we see more of who God is, and we begin to shine with his light. This is where we start to make progress in our ascent up the mountain of the Lord, where the light fills us and we turn and become light to others. In this stage, our mind becomes more and more enlightened to spiritual things, and we begin to practice the virtues, the fruits of the spirit of the Christian life. We become occupied with progress in the spiritual life. We move towards obedience. Illumination is characterized by several things. First, we begin not only to put off our old self, but to put on the new self. We put on the fruit of the spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are not just removing garments of flesh from us, but we are actually putting on robes of righteousness. Second, in illumination, prayer becomes the flow of our life as God is experienced in all things. We begin to engage in prayer continually. We're attuned to God in all things. Even when we're walking in nature, we're just thinking of God and his goodness to us. As God becomes a living reality to us, we also become more present in the world because we know that God has created all things for himself and we are part of his creation. 
We see God and we know that he sees us and he's beginning to fill our life with his presence more and more. And third, rather than seeing God as out there to experience, we know God as as a present reality within our being. We experience a profound transformation in our relationship with God. We give God absolute control of our lives and we awaken to the reality of God in our inner being. Thomas Merton puts it this way, and I quote, We awaken not only to God out there as king and ruler of the universe, which he is, but also a more intimate and more wonderful perception of him as directly and personally present in our own being. We know that he loves us better than we love ourselves, and if we are opposed to him, we are actually opposing ourselves. I love that. If we are opposed to him, we find out we're actually opposing ourselves. Because as we live in him, we become more who we are called to be. Because he made us and he knows us and he loves us. So as we reject him in illumination, we realize we're rejecting ourselves in this, not just him. We are becoming deformed images of what we were supposed to be. So we see this stage in Psalm 24, verses 5 through 6, where it speaks of seeking the face of the God of Jacob. It says in Psalm 24, 5 through 6, He, the one who purges himself from sin, look at verse 5, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. They use different language, but it's the same idea. And notice what he says next in verse 6. Such is the generation of those who inquire or seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. As you continue up the mountain, you receive blessing and righteousness. You seek the face of God. Uh, we can return. I'm, in each stage, I'm going to return to the life of Moses. You began at the burning bush, right? But we see this again in Moses' life. For Moses moves from the burning bush where? To Mount Sinai. And all of these stages are linked in Moses' life. At Mount Sinai, when Moses is about to ascend, God tells the people to make themselves holy and to wash their garments. That's purgation, right? Cleanse yourself. You're about to ascend the mountain of the Lord. And Moses cleanses himself so that he might see something of God. And in Exodus, as he ascends the mountain of the Lord, as he ascends Mount Sinai, it says the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. And Moses sees the God of Israel. Beneath God's feet was something like pavement, but it was as clear as the sky itself. This language is confusing, but what the author to Exodus is getting at is that Moses is peering between the division of heaven and earth. He's looking into the heavens, and he sees God as this devouring fire on the top of the mountain. And as Moses sees God as a devouring fire, what happens to him? He begins to shine. His face begins to shine. And when he comes down the mountain, he's been illumined. He's seen the God of Israel. He's seen him as a devouring fire. And that light that is of God is actually reflected on Moses' face. And as he comes down, he actually has to put a veil over his face because he's been so illumined by the God of Israel. Notice what he does. He cleanses himself. And then he sees God, a picture of him at least. In in a devouring fire. And he becomes light to others. He begins to take on God in a visible way. His light now radiates from him to others. That is illumination. 
we see something of God, it begins to transfigure us, to transform us into Christ's image. The final stage in our ascent to God is union. Union. Remember how at the beginning I asked, what's the goal of the Christian life? Where are we heading? Where are we going? What are we supposed to be doing? Union is the goal, to be with God. You might be proud to be in a confessional church, and I'm glad you're a confessional church, but the goal isn't only to know the Bible or theology. You might be proud to be in a communal church, and I'm glad that you're a communal church, but the goal isn't only to have good relationships. You might be proud to be in a missional church, but our goal isn't to change the city. All of these serve our main goal, our main end, which is for humanity to have what? Union with God. This can also be known as terms such as spiritual marriage, transforming union. Some have described these stages first as kissing Jesus' feet, then his hands, and finally in union we kiss his cheek. Union is characterized by oneness with God, where we find ourselves caught up in rapturous joy, adoration, praise, and a deep peace that passes all understanding. We not only know, but we experience that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. In union, people have their minds chiefly fixed on God and their attention tuned either always or very frequently to him. It's called the state of love because love envelops our being for both God and all his creation. People who experience such union no longer experience the need for human reinforcement or approval. Rather, they have a gentle, quiet, but confident way about them. And let me just say an aside here. Often, the people that are reaching toward this stage, I find, are older. That they've experienced suffering. That they've walked with Jesus for years and years and years. And there's a gentle, quiet power to them that you can just sense when you are with them. That older saints, they've, they've climbed this mountain. They've purged the sin from themselves. And they just long to be with God. As we return to Psalm 24, we get a sense of this in Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Notice what it says. It says, lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. This language can actually be confusing for us. For the psalmist speaks to gates or to doors, and he tells them to do something. But the imagery is symbolic for us opening our hearts to have union with this king. As the gates and the doors are opened up, so we open up our hearts to the Lord of hosts to the Lord of armies, and we say, come, enter, we welcome your presence. We open up our beings to that king of glory that he might come in and abide with us. We read in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, abide in me 
and I in you, John 15, 4. Or in John 15, 9, to abide in my love. Jesus prays that we might be in the Father, in the Son, and in the Spirit, that we might be made completely one as he is one. That's union. That we might be made one as he is one. We've traced Moses' ascent from the burning bush to Mount Sinai. There's another important mountain in Moses' life, and that's the mountain of transfiguration. The mountain of transfiguration. On the mountain of transfiguration, the disciples not only see Jesus as full of light, but according to Luke, Moses and Elijah are also full of light. Moses now sees Jesus, and he has achieved union with him. He is full of light as God is full of light. So remember what happened on Mount Sinai. He saw God, but it was a devouring fire. He couldn't make out a form. And now on the mountain of transfiguration, he sees the face of Jesus. And he's full, his whole being is full of light. Ultimately, our full union won't occur until Jesus is revealed again. We will then dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The glory of the Lord will find you. John says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We want to see him as he is. That's what it means to ascend up the mountain, to seek to have union with God. Now, I wonder how all this hits you. I know these terms are new, and maybe you haven't thought about your spiritual journey or mapping your own ascent in this way. Some of you might be um, condemning yourselves for not making the progress that you had hoped that you had made, would make at this point in your life. Let me say two things. First, the goal is not to reach the next stage, but to take the next step. The goal is not to reach the next stage, but to take the next step. As one pastor said, you simply need to ask yourselves, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? And how, you, how can you say yes to him? Take the next step. These stages are for our good and for our joy. So take the next step with him. Ascend toward him. That might mean killing sin and just taking the next step as you're able. Second, this journey doesn't happen in a day, a week, a year, but in a lifetime. In a lifetime. You think it's simple because you have a nice little chart on your, on your uh, notes, but it's not simple. It takes our entire life. It's stern work. The hill is higher than you imagine. Some days you're going to feel like, oh, I'm making progress, and then the next week or two or year you're going to feel like I'm just sliding back down. I spent most of the time on purgation because this, this is where most Christians find themselves. The point is to take one step at a time in following Jesus. How can you take the next step to ascend the mountain of the Lord? Let me close with a story. On Hannah and I's fifth anniversary, wedding anniversary, we traveled to Yosemite National Park in California. We got a pass to hike up Half Dome. Half Dome, if you've ever tried to climb that, it looks like a dome that's actually cut in half. It's the logo for North Face. It's a 15-mile round-trip hike about a 5,000-foot climb in elevation, and it takes 10 to 12 hours. If you're really fit, maybe less than that. But for normal people like me, 10 to 12 hours. 
I remember starting out on the trail in the dark with our headlamps on. You had to start early because you don't want to be stuck up there at night, right? You're going to get lost. So you start early in the morning. We had our headlamps on. We're walking, uh, I think it's up Vernal Falls. We go up there first, and then you go up to Half Dome. Well, when we finally came to Half Dome, this was um, probably around 1 o'clock or something like that. You had to make the final ascent up the rock face that seemed way too steep. If you've ever seen pictures, when you get to the side of Half Dome that you climb up, you look at it from afar, it looks like it's just vertical. As you're coming up on it, it looks like you're going to have to climb vertically up. Like, I'm, I'm not trained to do this. I'm also very scared of heights. Um, and and as, I, as we looked at it, I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, we're so close but I was like, I, that, that looks terrifying to me. Thankfully, as you come up, though, you, you can see there's actually cables that you can hold onto and boards in Half Dome that you can kind of like grab onto and pull yourself up. So you're not actually rock climbing. Someone has put cables in that you can hold onto and boards on the side. But you're still, you're still going straight up, and they actually have gloves for you so you don't burn your hands on the cable. So you're like tugging yourself up to the top of Half Dome. So we're there, we're eating lunch, and I'm like, I don't really want to do that. That looks terrible. But I knew I'd always regret it if I didn't do it, right? We're sitting there, and I'm like, if we don't go up this, I will forever regret. Like, we just spent all of our energy. We're at the last stage. We've got to make it up to the top. So we summoned our courage. We strapped on our backpacks and made the final ascent, and the top was glorious. I don't know if you've been up there, but you can see the whole Yosemite Valley, and the sun was shining. It was hitting these evergreen trees, and it's like the best view ever. And you can go to the very edge, and it's like a straight drop. Now, I'm like like shaking, you know, I'm like, oh, and you look just straight down. It's just like a straight edge. And I love it because I'm like, my adrenaline's going. My point in telling you this story is that when you look at mapping your own spiritual journey, you might feel tired. You might feel like it's too much. The summit is too high. The path is too hard. But remember two things. Remember two things. Number one, you have people around you to help you along the way. And you have one who has descended the mountain to come and get you. I forgot to tell you a little detail about this. When we had stopped and we were eating our lunch, a 70-year-old man passed us and said, You can make it! Keep going! And I thought, man, if he can do that, I can do it! And maybe more importantly, if you think about what's happening at Half Dome, there is someone who had gone up before us and set up cables so we could ascend to the top. Someone had to put those cables in and those pieces of wood in. In a similar way, you have people around you here. Here, these are your people around you to help you. And ultimately, you have Jesus Christ who has gone before you. This psalm, Psalm 24, is primarily about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has ascended by his own merits, the mountain of God. He is the only one who truly has clean hands and a pure heart. It is he who came up and the angel said, lift up the gates. Lift up the gates because he's here and we cannot bar his entrance. Who will ascend the mountain of, the God, of God? Who will ascend? We will because Jesus has come from the heavens to bring us to God. Get up, Christian, for Christ waits for you. And he will drag you up that mountain. 
He will bring you up that mountain. The summit is high, but higher still is his love and his grace for you. He will bear you on eagle's wings. He has come down Jacob's ladder, and he has blazed that trail for you. All you have to do is walk in his footsteps. He will carry you up. The scriptures say you have a forerunner, a leader who has ascended the mountain and carved that path for you. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Doesn't it make you think of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 that says, therefore, I mean, this is basically the whole sermon in two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, since you have so many people cheering you on, let us lay aside every weight, purge the sin from amongst you, and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It is difficult, but the top of that mountain, it's worth it. It's worth it. You want to be at the top because then you have union with God and you see him and you will be full of joy forever and your whole being will shine with the light of God who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is what? This is the ascension. Is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated in the heavens on your behalf, and he calls you to come up, to come up to him by his blood. Christian, you have others to help you along the way, and ultimately you have one who has gone before you, and is seated at the right hand of God. C.S. Lewis, what did he say? We must go further up and further in. Further up and further in. That's the call of the Christian life. Ascend the mountain of God by the power of the blood of Christ. May the Lord give us the strength to do so. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that we are weak. We are weak, but you are strong. You are strong. You have promised to carry us on eagle's wings. And you have provided your body and your blood to sustain us on this journey. What a promise that is to us. What a help that is to us. And we pray even as we take of the body and blood of Christ now, that this would be food for us as we seek your face. Father, please sustain us. Please encourage us. Help us to persevere. Help us to not be too down on ourselves, but to remember that Christ forgives us of all of our sins. And he washes us as white as snow. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus Christ is for us and he loves us. And he has shown us that love on the cross of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.